0: In honor of X-Men Apocalypse, which cinematic mutant of the X-Men universe are you?
1: I'm Kitty Richard. I want to be Mystique because you can't tell me if I'm good or bad. I can be both.
0: Hey, it's me, David the Seven. I'm Deadpool because I enjoy my meta humor more than David Ehrlich does.
2: I'm Matt Patches and I'm the Juggernaut, bitch. No, I'm not. I'm, come on, I'm a Cyclops. I love that guy. <laughs>
3: uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I just watched The Player and greatly enjoyed its meta humor, Dave. Uh, but, uh, I I am obviously going to be, obviously, the kid from X2 who uh, can change the channels on the TV at Xavier's school for gifted youngsters by just blinking his eyes because my Time Warner cable remote hasn't worked in a long time and I gotta get up. And go to the tv whenever i want to change the input and it's it's been difficult so uh i think that would definitely be the best mutant power for me to have the most beneficial in the long run
0: you're gonna evolve
3: gentlemen you can't fight in here this is the war room
0: fine i can hear you now dimitri clear and plain and coming through
2: fine
0: i'm coming through fine too eh Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's
1: good that you're fine, and and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine.
0: Uh, It's it's a a
1: podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 120 for Tuesday, May 24th, 2016. Here's some deep way back history for you. On this day in 1818, Andrew Jackson took Pensacola, Florida. I don't know what that means. Were we at war then? (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, well, he took it He took it back all It right. means this day in history was really boring
1: Pensacola, how am we so glad we have it uh, Before we get started, David, you promised multiple excellent reviews from our listeners Yes,
3: but excellent was in the caliber of their writings and opinions Not necessarily all of their uh, star rankings Although it just so happens that all of these reviews are very flattering uh, We have, let's see, how many of these... Well, one is very quick. We can go with Kiki De La Luz who says, "I agree with rhymes with house." Okay.
2: I uh, believe that's I believe that's one of the legacy reviews that comes up. I see. I see. When you first hit the page and it's and it Fair. says that he likes the, the ah. show.
3: Well, this listener says, "I wish you were all my friends too." And then Aww. she there's a there's a little the you know, the eyes and the slanty mouth. So um, there's a little bit of desolation there I mean, I don't know, maybe we can try to fix this tweet uh, at
1: us, man we got nothing better <laughs> yeah. to do than to talk to you on Twitter
3: uh, the only friends I have are the ones who tweeted me so it's as good a way as any <laughs> uh, now we have Mad Hatter 1084, which makes an unfortunate allusion to the worst film coming out this weekend, uh, This is amazing although I don't always agree with every thought and opinion that comes out of this cast I do love the fact that it's out there and available to me to listen many times a week Great back and forth between the hosts and some great thoughts shining through the silliness. P.S. Joanna, I love you. Keep doing what you're doing. You do it great. (laughs) Uh, What's the preferred terminology? Pod or cast?
1: For, like, podcast for short? Yeah. I think cast, but
3: I don't know. It's like a... P-cast. A Magic the Gathering feel about cast. But pod sounds a little bit too silicon valley for my taste. So, that's true. I'm uh weigh in listeners, it, next time
1: you review us, tell us if we're a pod
3: or a cast. Mm. And finally, we have EM Frederick who says our show is the carol of podcasts. As someone who listens to hours upon hours of podcasts every day as I work, I can honestly say that this is the only one I get legitimately excited for when a new episode pops up in my feed. The hosts each have their own tastes and approaches to film criticism, and this facilitates discussion with a degree of thoughtfulness you cannot find anywhere else. What I appreciate most is that there are no real distinctions made in what is considered worthwhile of discussion, which is the big fault I find with most other film podcasts. Here is the same sort of thoughtfulness that is given to a new Todd Haynes film is applied in equal measure to Neighbors too. Listening to these people for as long as I have, they stop feeling like voices and more like friends, and if I ever saw one of the hosts just out and about, I would probably react as such and come across as a crazy person in the process. Patches is probably the biggest presence on the show and is oftentimes the funniest. See, Soul Surfer. Hey! Kate, wait,
2: wow, wow, that was a long deep time cut. ago.
3: Deep Don't see, Soul Surfer. hey Katie comes across as the most middle-grounded of the bunch and it's essential to keeping the show grounded. Not the Gru, I suppose. I'm now speaking for myself, David. But I maybe, couldn't
1: tell if that was middle-brow or, or grounded, but I'll take either. Gra- Middle-growl.
3: Uh... What have we here? Um, Dave Seven is the resident populist, in quotation marks. And while I could not disagree more with many of his opinions, he is still, the great, he's still great and provides one end of the critical spectrum. And <clears throat> hold on here. My favorite host is far and away Dave Ehrlich. <laughs> whose writings oh! and top 25 countdowns have introduced me to so many of my favorite films of recent years. All in all, this is hands down not only the best entertainment podcast out there, but very well might be one of the best podcasts overall. P.S. Is there anyone I, anywhere I can watch David's proposal short film? I have been holding off listening to the yeah episode until I can watch it, but I can't seem to find it anywhere. Uh, that is by design, my friends. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Why are you hiding that? You spent good money on like, that picture. Dave I, produced it.
3: I spent no money on that picture. Dave, oh. do you
1: have a copy of Proposals that you can leak online?
3: Uh, Dave does not. Um, I mean, he might, but he doesn't. Uh, anyway. <laughs> maybe, maybe my copy day. is
0: not the final copy, and therefore I, g- yes. I would feel bad. I feel uh, bad just distributing it.
3: May- maybe, maybe if uh, this listener tweets at the fighting in the war account, uh, we can hook up some sort of DM arrangement. Come on, David, free oh. the nipple. <laughs> Wow! Free the nipple. Well, <laughs> this is, this, is a, this that film is definitely the nipple of my body of work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, this goes to show you what you can get if you uh, leave us a review. We might DM you uh, short films that we made at some point in our lives. About lucky, the truly endless. Lucky you. So yeah, get David's nipple DM to you, and uh, you know see how that works out um, for you. And keep leaving us reviews. We love them, obviously. The time of the preacher when the story began of the choice of a lady,
3: and the love of a man, and how he loved her so dearly.
2: He went out of his mind
1: When she left him for This someone. week, AMC
0: has brought yet another comic book television series to the airwaves. Thrilling me because this is finally an adaptation of the graphic novel Preacher. The uh, Garth Ennis epic, I'm going to say, that uh it definitely shocked me as it was coming out and as i was reading it and collecting that in trade paperback form and you were reading it when it was
1: out like in the mid 90s
0: when it was coming out and i picked it up so right as it was like leading into its uh last 10 issue home stretch because it was (laughs) very much like a 60 some issue i started picking up the trade paperbacks and uh would just you were relatively young
1: for it though
0: Oh yeah, but I mean, having grown up in the early '90s reading comics, there wasn't like an extreme something I hadn't seen illustrated in some form.
2: <laughs> see, Dave is so, the populist member of our group who ah. spent his youth reading comic books alone. <laughs> that, like
0: the people there are other do. People
2: with me, we oh, okay. were
0: all standing in line for foil-covered comics and waiting to see how the Clone Saga ended. But just not as important. the
2: masses did. Okay. This is a beloved
0: comic book um, uh, that has been attempted to be uh, developed for a little while. But then finally, uh, Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen managed to get it picked up by AMC. And after a little bit of uh, tentative questioning from the fan base, uh, and I think it was South by Southwest where they debuted the, the full pilot, um, after reviews of that uh, sort of came back, everybody sort of was a buzz that maybe somebody had figured out a way to adapt well, preacher for television. It, it it's might a be r w- rated intense uh, comic
2: book. It might be worth story. noting who attempted to make make this comic book into uh, a movie first. it was It was going to be Kevin Smith and oh, yeah. harvey weinstein were going to try and make preacher no. back in the late ''90s and then hBO was going to do it as a show with um, god uh mark johnson stevenson i want to say the director of daredevil
1: i think between that sam mendes was gonna do it no sam
2: mendes was after the hbo attack
1: oh okay and
2: then john august was writing a script for sam mendes and they even did like uh uh makeup tests and all of that but that collapsed too no one no one could make this and then dj
1: caruso was briefly on board jesus that's an interesting footnote in
2: hollywood history and now we're here Now we're here, and we finally have a a
0: TV series. (laughs) Is it good? Um, uh, I've only watched the first episode, the pilot, which aired on Sunday, and I like the way that it's drastically changing. I've been doing a lot of thinking about uh, adaptations recently, uh, with uh, you know some of the spoiler stuff that's been leaking out of the uh, Dark Tower set and how that's going to sort of change uh, the narrative of the books. So I was really refreshed to see these characters um, sort of jump onto the screen in a way that was recognizable to me, even though it's not the exact same way that they enter into the comics. Like, they're not... And apparently for the season, we're going to stay entirely in this town, uh, which is going to be an interesting way to sort of take what is this sort of, like, sprawling... Uh, globe-hopping chase for God and sort of extend it into a different story about these characters, which at least the comic book starts off with a very clear quest and then becomes sort of a character journey as it goes on. Uh, It's going to be interesting, I think, to start this way and see the way that this could be translated into another medium and how it benefits from certain things.
2: What's interesting about the pilot, and I've seen two more episodes after that, uh, but I won't go into spoilers or anything about that, but um, it holds its cards pretty close to the chest. I have not read the comics. Uh, You know, I'm a populist member of this group, too. Well, wow, you're I, just uh,
1: jealous of not being called the populist. I see this
3: now. <laughs> no, I'm not.
2: Yeah. I'm not jealous, but I spent time reading comic books, I'm but Preacher was like not one not of them. Not
3: a surf song. Like, I'm a populist.
2: <laughs> I didn't listen to Not a Surf either. Was that popular? I, mean, I was pretty that much song, That one song <laughs> was. Oh, damn it. Um, anywho, Preacher, not, not a book that I read, so I went into this show completely fresh. I, I really dig it, and because it's kind of cryptic and just full of imagery and full of audacity and very silly too uh, you know exploding people right off the bat the first shot of the pilot is the, some celestial object flying through kind of uh low rent sci-fi scape solar system uh so immediately setting up that anything goes uh, you know, I was a Carnival fan back in the day when that was on HBO, and this is like a, a much, much sillier version of Carnival, where I feel like they're just going to throw out all sorts of anything is possible images. You know, maybe there's vampires, gods involved. I don't really understand Jesse as a character right now, and it seems like he doesn't understand himself either. Jesse as being he, the preacher, who played yes, the Dominic Jesse Cooper. Custer, Dominic Cooper, Yep. Coop. Uh, yep, he is. There are preaching
3: are definitely to, vampires.
2: Uh, yeah, there's Cassidy who falls out of a plane after murdering a bunch of people and then lands in this town with, with Jesse. And none of them really seem to understand why they're all together. Even three episodes in, it's still very... Just stuff keeps happening. Um, But I like that. You know, the problem with Walking Dead, I thought the pilot of Walking Dead was very strong and mysterious and moody. Um, And it really deflated so quickly when it became... Superficial character drama, just people arguing all the time, and we have to go from point A to point B to point C, so it's kind of refreshing to see... I mean, Lynchian is so overplayed right now, but it does have that kind of twin peaks with more guns and more blood aspect to it, where he's just, Jesse's hanging out in these crowds uh, around his church, and he's talking to people, and he's trying to solve their problems, but he can't really do it because he doesn't understand people at all. Um, I'm all about the mysteriousness, but David, you mentioned off the podcast that maybe, maybe it didn't work for you, I don't know. Or uh, Katie, you
3: watched something too. Should I should I weigh in, or would you like to?
1: Oh no, I I so I watched I managed to watch half of uh, half an hour of the pilot, so I don't really have a substantial question. But about the way that you're talking about how anything goes and things are crazy, when I hear that in a kind of a modern context, I think Ryan Murphy like is this? I mean, because that shows where like if anything goes, it can really go off the rails and be Ryan horrible. Murphy Does creature not have that potential? Ryan
3: Murphy would definitely have the time of his life directing this, but. It does not, at this point, feel like a Ryan Murphy show. Okay. Although
2: Dave's probably the expert there. You watched a lot of American Horror Story, Dave. It doesn't seem like that based on outside. No, view, I, don't I don't know. Th-
0: I don't think it's... Or at least it doesn't read like that to me because um, it oscillates... Like, when Ryan Murphy, he doesn't do grim. He does, like, shocking and, like, gross. This show oscillates between, like just, like, dark character moments and light character moments, and a lot of the times they're they're juxtaposed against the action. And I think it's a lot different than Ryan Murphy, who's going for, like, the most extreme of something. I think this is slightly more subtle.
1: So it's but restrained still like in a way that Ryan Murphy isn't.
0: Yes, in certain ways. In certain ways. <laughs> it's,
3: in certain ways. Uh, yeah, I, I think what Patches cited about not really having a sense of what's going on or how any of these people connected... Is something that I felt very strongly in the two episodes that I watched, uh, two and a half. Um, But for me, it was was a pretty big turnoff. Not that I want to know everything about this world right off the bat, but uh, even after almost two and a half hours, I had no idea why the fuck I was supposed to care about any of these people or anything that they are going through. I I knew not the first thing about Preacher. Um, I didn't know the first thing about what this malevolent or potentially malevolent force was that had come from the heavens and exploded this guy in the first scene and was living inside of his body and wrestling for his soul. Um, You know, I assume that they'll get to these things, but it felt... I don't know, I mean, uh, for whatever reason, my mind went back to the first episode of the anime anime sort of has become a dirty word based because of uh, a lot of the people who like it and how they comport themselves (laughs) online we're here for Uh, you (laughs) the anime series Cowboy Bebop which in 22 Mm. minutes in its first episode set up a more almost a more coherent world than any other television show I've ever seen Uh, and certainly uh, the genre variety and the the world building they were able to do in 22 minutes and and how it was established through character it's not the only show that's ever done that but it's just the A contrast that came to mind when I was thinking of how unsatisfied I was with what Preacher was able to do and why I'm very unlikely to come back to the show unless it gets – I'll listen closely to what people have to say about it. If the rest of the first season gets rave reviews from people who are not just so excited to see AMC completely depart from being the network that gave us Mad Men and follow more towards further down the rabbit hole of The Walking Dead and its ilk, although this seems to be a better show. AMC uh, has
1: given us lots of, you know, populist stuff that isn't The Walking Dead, though.
3: Yeah, but I mean, even down to the color scale, this is The Walking Dead. Uh, it's a better show. It's obviously as a as a stronger lineage. Um, the books seem more respected, and it seems like they have a more respect from their for their audience, at least at this early date. Uh, it's hard to think of a worse show than The Walking Dead. Full stop. Uh, but yeah, I just I like the characters. All of their individual charms. Uh, Ruth Negga who is going to be seen in Loving later this year uh, is is v- super watchable as his maybe ex-girlfriend the credits said that or like the description on AMC's press page said that she was his ex-girlfriend I did not get that from the actual material in the show uh, the, va- the fights aren't like there's some nice Sam Raimi like imagery in there but I don't know It's 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 really just sort of a of uh like a deep fried mess at the moment. It's
2: definitely not, a, a remix of a lot of different elements hooked. right now. But I kind of like that it's swirling around, and the one anchor or the the multiple anchors in the show seem to be these kind of down to earth characters. Even if you know Cassidy seems uh, to be an undead Irishman with a penchant for drinking and and slaughtering people him and Jesse can kind of hang out at a bar and, and be casual friends. That's what I... You know, these downbeats where people are just kind of hanging out, figuring themselves out, that's what's going to hopefully ground the show in, in I mean, no, the weeks to come. But I like that in the pilot, too. You
3: know, they'll have to <laughs> Yes, have hopefully they will have character <laughs> and like, you'll, you'll care to see... Because that that sounds good when you say it i mean i would like to see that but right now i'm just like but
2: do they have to start with big motivation do they have to start with big arcs or they can they just roll into that you know i feel like they're going to stumble into the story of this hopefully multi-season show as opposed to being like we're gonna drop you in and get this mission done and yeah absolutely
3: that's that's totally fine i think one of the biggest flaws of network tv these days is the pacing and how um they feel more like movies yeah, no, I, I like the idea that, in theory, that they're slowing down and letting us breathe these characters, but I've yet to see really a single scene for any other character besides whatever the girl's name is, but uh, Ruth Negga's character, uh, Tulip. She's the only character who's had an individual scene where I've been like, oh, I'm interested to learn about you. Right now, Preacher's a total blank for me, um, and I know the most backstory-wise about the vampire guy. But i uh, not particularly hooked on that yet. I don't know. I
1: uh, Well, Dave, you know these characters. Like, are, Do you have faith that the version on the show is going to put them in a way that makes them worth watching?
0: I mean, I think so. I don't necessarily disagree with any reason why David would not return to the show if it is as slow as he's saying. Because it was definitely like we don't learn even in the comic why jesse and tulip broke up right away or why jesse's like
3: my favorite show is mad men so slow is not the problem it's just that i feel like the what they are providing isn't really doing it for me come on
2: this is basically gilmore girls with guns
0: But I, uh, I, I don't I'm gonna to say it's True. actually more the opposite of True Blood season one
3: for men.
2: Ah. Whoa. Whoa! See, I
3: hated True Blood, so that that's an interesting comparison. I definitely see a tonal.
2: It's it's definitely like Boondock Saints with a bit more visual style. I mean, Are you it could just easily up now. No, I am saying it's teetering on the edge of being like It's like Dumbo freshmen. if Dumbo were real.
1: <laughs> in what way is it like Fight Club? No,
2: no, actually Fight Club is another oh, a God. good example. It's just like Look it's kind of teetering here. on the edge of being dorm room fodder as opposed to legit you I know, will, artful television, but
3: I I will say this. I will pay close attention to what people have to say about it, to what the other people on this podcast have to say about it as it goes on and the rest of the world and if it sounds like uh, it's worth it's worth the time, I'll check out the rest of the season. As of now, I'm going to take a pass.
0: Yeah, I think Preacher is a safe thing to, if it's right up your alley, keep, keep with it week to week. But if not, it might be something that's worth binging on uh, later in the year. If you don't want to ride the zeitgeist wave.
1: I have one last question. Does anything yeah. about it feel like anything uh, that Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg have made before?
0: No, um, I think this is the one end. One moment, is pretty close. The, okay. Yeah, there's some "this is the end" stuff in the pilot that, at least, uh, just some um, the way that c- certain jokes are paced. Uh, specifically, I think with the tulips introduction, that's really I was, I
1: was, the, th- the opening scene that's in the African church did feel a little bit like this is the end to me.
2: Mm. There's a lot of that kind of that. silliness and. It's the kind of show where someone can carve their own heart out with a giant blade and it's a joke. Get it out before it,
0: yeah, before it's <laughs>
2: before he dies. And it's a wonderful joke.
0: It is. So in what is a puzzling move to me, and you guys tell me if this makes any more sense to you, Independence Day Resurgence, the sequel to Independence Day that is coming like 20 years later, 20 years later, um, is has decided to like do this thing called an extended trailer, which is basically all its previously existing trailers stitched together in what seems like the order of the plot of the movie, uh, along with some more clarifying dialogue and it runs 4 minutes and 45 seconds and just seems like absolute overkill for a role in Emmerich movie where I know I'm going to be seeing things blow up so like just give me an iconic image of things blowing up and tell me the aliens are back and I feel like Independence Day Resurgence is really making more of a play for my attention and it's coming off desperate i made you guys watch it did it actually work for any of you
2: oh no absolutely not no. It, we're not in an era where the independence day money shots function anymore right this reminds me so much of jurassic world and trying to get people am for jurassic world it's not you can't just have this moment of grandeur we've we've brought a dinosaur back to life no uh, we we've blown up the uh, Empire State Building or the or the well, but didn't White Jurassic House?
0: World have the Chris Pratt riding alongside the Raptors in like the first teaser to be mm-hmm. like, we're riding this. This is our
2: thing. Yeah, but also, well, did. the first Independence Day Resurgent trailer had you know like, holy shit, they have a gravity machine. They're ripping up the the Earth, crazy, and it's all collapsing inward. And now that is combined with everything else. It's the fucking... What was the name of the dinosaur Jurassic World? The mega yeah, dinosaur. Indominus ride. Rex flu? Yes, no. Indominus Rex. This whole movie is the Indominus Rex. It's awful. I mean, I guess I'm excited. No, that's but Dave, a But Dave, it's your question.
3: What the thinking is behind releasing a mega trailer like that?
0: I mean, I think so, especially in an era where the opposite is also happening, where trailers are getting, like, mini-trailers put in front of it. So it's like we're catering both to the people with the absolute well, shortest attention pen and the people that absolutely have to know everything going into the Well, those,
3: that pre-roll nonsense is just so that they can keep people from clicking away and count it as a view. I mean, it's purely a business-minded decision, uh, and it's... Sort of repulsive uh, because it's they understand that it's not adding value for anybody, but they want the numbers for the. Well, they can
2: get they can get the trades to report on the number of uh, views they get on their trailer. I just read a, a story today on Deadline. A th- it was updated three times to track the number of views an NBC drama for next fall and, got, and then, just uh, got views. It, it was insane. All
3: of us suffer. I mean, we don't suffer in a big way. It's three <laughs> seconds here, five seconds there, but it's a pain in the ass. Uh, and it's just it's just a we're different people now. Symptomatic of the the putting the cart before the horse, uh, and yeah, I mean, or I guess I don't know if I'm cycling through my rolodex of shitty aphorisms here. We'll go with uh,
0: well, I guess uh, like as the as suspic- the populist. <laughs> and let's let's say <laughs> that I was interested. Let's say that I was interested in knowing stuff about Independence Day resurgence. And uh,
3: I, am, I am interested in Independence
1: Day resurgence, like as a concept. I will okay. see it.
3: I think the only there reason we go. I'm interested in seeing Independence Day Resurgence because I don't know yeah. that much about it because I haven't watched this trailer.
1: That's true. I this think the, the more I saw of that trailer, the less interested I was in seeing it.
3: <laughs> There's a giant exactly. monster, And then not only
1: that,
0: it was like not necessarily new footage either because each of these like, trailer moments, you know, whether it be the feet of the giant monster or the gravity machine, have been in previous trailers. So all they're really doing is, like, trying to stitch together a narrative and, like, what I really want to see is something other than, you know, buildings exploding. Like, show me what the giant alien looks like or something. The Bill the Bill Pullman uh, being used to, you know, have the alien speak through him might be, like, the best part that's been added to this extended trailer because it's something different than just, like, the... Hemsworth and Smoke that the previous trailers have been offering.
1: And it's based on a it's character. Just, like, this movie is not exactly like bringing back the characters we love from the first one because that was be Smith and he wants
2: something to do with it. Well, it kind of is that, right? Everyone else I mean, came that, back.
1: Well, that moment is. But, like, everything else that they're showing off of the movie is just, like, Goldblum being there, like... Kraken wise again. Like there's nothing you're catching up on about these characters from the first movie, basically except for being like, Oh, what's gonna happen to Bill Pullman? Like that intrigues you. (laughs) And everything else is just like the same visual effects, (laughs) except they've been replicated a million times since Independence Day, so there's nothing appealing.
2: It's almost it's almost like this four and a half minute trailer is the movie and the sequel comes out in theaters this July. You know, like give the people a movie so that it feels like they're going for the the second follow up in theaters. I feel like we're almost. If they
0: did that, that they would like buy my allegiance for two more Independence Day sequels. Wow! I'd be like, what <laughs> new movie? Movie I haven't seen. You guys <laughs> rendered a ship that landed over the entire Atlantic for three trailers. Bravo!
1: <laughs> That's, That's true. That would be impressive. Yeah, anyway,
0: Independence would... Day Resurgence. If you have as about as long as this segment was, you could uh, you could check it out on YouTube
2: they like to get the landmarks.
0: This week on Game of Thrones, some pretty crazy stuff happened. If for some reason you uh, don't want to be spoiled about very light things that happened on Game of Thrones Season 6, you're not a water cooler person, it's just your preference, uh, this is a place to jump off the podcast. Otherwise, uh, Game of Thrones, yeah, season 6, uh, the episode The Door uh, revealed that Hodor was short for Hold the Door, uh, and the <laughs> yeah. character was stunted God, as a youth by dead, uh, uh, Well, it's a Mad Magazine fold-in of a plot, but it's executed <clears throat> in an emotional moment because he dies holding the door to protect Bran as Bran's... Warging into the past And Hodor creating some sort of Feedback loop So uh, young Hodor starts seizing
2: He's not warging into the past He's already warged because Isn't greensight a form of warging Boom Yeah he greensights He He greensights goes back in time And then wargs within that Loop So he's double warging Double think All the with, way. <laughs> he
1: deliberately wargs with Hodor in the present, right?
2: Well, no, he wargs I Hodor think... in the past because he is in the past. Well,
1: I know he does that, and that's how his brain gets stuck, but doesn't he warg Hodor in the present to be able to get them out of there?
2: I'm yes. going to have to say Hodor on that one. <laughs> uh, anyway. Fair enough. What, what, the
0: what point being illustrated by people... this very... Yeah, go, go ahead, David.
3: No, it was because it was an exciting moment because uh, while it did seem that book readers, some at least, somehow already knew, had uh, pieced this together. Because I guess if you have the type of mind that wants to uh, solve the story rather than enjoy it, you're thinking Hodor, hold Hodor for years, and then it just you just say it out loud enough that it comes to you. Uh, but <laughs> for the most part, this was something that we all experienced as one. Uh, book readers and the illiterate alike. And so that was nice. but we Big are, moment for the illiterate. Dave, here. I, I'm told that we are not here really <laughs> to talk about Game of Thrones, but so rather to leverage this into a conversation no, about time you're travels.
2: You're praying. You're praying that's is true. Is that correct? It, we really want yeah, to be That about is Game correct.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I'm sure there are places for people to listen to p- us all talk about Game of Thrones, to write about Game of Thrones, but I like that this conversation immediately happened about how it worked, because I think it's very tricky to introduce a time travel element to a narrative, especially a long form narrative like Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, it was revealed in the after show featurette that George R. R. Martin had actually come up with this plot point. Which means it will in some way be replicated in the books, which means that Bran's power to sort of like exert influence on another time introduces this, uh, I guess, time travel or casual time loop into the world, fantasy world of Game of Thrones, which up until now has been ice zombies and dragons. So An it's idea sort of a an you resisted,
2: twist. we should note an idea that I yes. told you was going to happen and you were like, there's absolutely no way. And then I said, fuck you. Ha <laughs> ha.
0: Yes. No, I do. I did resist it initially because it's time travel is such a, um, I don't know. It, it needs to be used like a scalpel, uh, because it is, could, is so capable of breaking a narrative in, uh, different ways. Like, uh, it, specifically if you deal with time travel that like, uh, uh, changes uh, how you care about a character. So like, there are so many options or there are no ultimate consequences because of time travel. So therefore, why do anything and why should we watch it? Or well. you could do the complete opposite and sort of doom them to a fate that's unchangeable. And so it's something like, it's like a, gar- oh, a garnish to a well-done plot that's so often, I think, misused. Uh, as, a, you know, sort of a crutch or a shorthand uh, for real character work or plot, which is why I think Game of Thrones stood out as being something that if if they keep the mechanics vague, it, it's, uh, you know, sort of bloomed into existence as a very emotional and key moment. And I think, you know, if they, you know, traumatize Bran or do something where he's not overusing this power... That might be the proper mix of time travel HUI and storytelling, whereas something like, you know, Terminator Genesis that decided to go all in with the time travel hui to try to uh, you know, revive the 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 film franchise was unable to do it because it ended up just we didn't care about the characters. Yeah, well, it, was it was also, also a, a staple. staple.
3: I mean there are two schools of time travel, as you pretty clearly laid out. There's the Logite slash twelve monkey school, and then there's the bullshit school. <laughs> you know, there's Whoa. the uh fa- there's the fatalism uh, of you know everything that you change has already been changed, and then there's Terminator Genesis uh, and
1: Back and to, to think, the Future. Come on,
3: I think that back to the, I have I have mixed emotions about Back
2: David. To the future. No longer likes Back to the Future. The uh, internet ruined it for him. Yeah,
3: I was never particularly big on Back to the Future to begin with, but I just whatever. Uh, but the uh, you know the idea is that Back to the Future had some limitations, some constraints, because it was telling a pretty tightly narrated story. Uh, it was not long-form storytelling, even though the franchise eventually began to feel that way. It's still these concise two-hour increments. I think in a television format, it's really a slippery slope, uh, as we saw with Lost, which you know had to bend over backwards in order to tie everything up in a way that felt satisfying for viewers and find the emotional core of all this time-traveling mumbo-jumbo. And of course, if you keep it to an emotional core and let people have something to hold on to, maybe things work out. But I think uh, I-, I was a little bit as satisfying emotionally as, uh, as, this, as Hodor's dispatchment was. And while there's a little bit of a caveat there because it- it's obviously something that was planned many years in advance uh, or r- really seamlessly retconned, but uh, more likely ingrained in the character from the beginning... Um, and I was reading something with, you know, uh, George R. R. Martin today that that really seemed to confirm that that this is uh, as you might expect the thing that he had in mind from the start, um, which gives you a little bit more leeway. I still think the whole idea of Game of Thrones becoming a show where time travel is possible or time influence or it becomes about these sort of closed circuits of uh, anti or like untemporal, atemporal, temporal, I don't know. It's uh, it can get it can get bad real fast, and you've already seen the floodgates open with these fan theories about how Bran is jumping into all these characters throughout time and influencing them to do certain things. That I'm like, oh my god, that is going to completely defenestrate with little interest I have left in uh, the show. Because, but that doesn't you know, necessarily me mean it's that- it's. No, Bad. I'm just saying that like <laughs> they, I, 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 it's making me afraid of where the show might go because I'm saying like, oh, well, it's going to take away the actions of the characters, the things that define them. They're all going to be the, the result of this one hive mind, little boy. Uh, no, I... I I don't know. I mean, put it.
1: That is what I worry about with yeah. this time travel thing that like the idea, cause I, patches is what we've talked about is that he would go back and kind of like, change the way the entire show and kind of delete what has happened on the show that we've seen so far and do it all over again. And that's something I worry about with time travel that you go back and like everything doesn't count in a way, which is why I'm hoping that the amount of time travel we're seeing is really limited to these like kind of accidental moments that brand doesn't really even have complete control over. And I think Loss, as much as like its timeline did get really wonky, like it did a really good job of rooting that stuff in character and having people make choices. Even when the timeline was going all over the place, characters were doing things that mattered and mattered to them and the people around them. Although, um, and that's what uh, Game of Thrones needs to make sure it continues to do. I
2: think, I think time travel, when I think about It's possibilities in Game of Thrones, but also in all types of other fiction that there's this built-in existential dread of time travel, or there certainly can be, where uh, you have the ability to go back and fix things, but you you can't, or you don't, or you screw them up more. Um, And Bran has obviously suffered this before. Um, Movies off the top of my head, I'm thinking like time crimes, even butterfly effect that... uh, what's his name's movie
0: um ashton kutcher ashton, ashton
2: kutcher? kutcher a horrible movie uh you know these movies where uh, even actually does looper have the same paradox where he, they're going back in time and fucking things up i can't remember but anyway yes
1: i feel like looper is the legit model where what has happened before will happen again right oh
3: gotcha I don't remember um, it
1: that well.
2: Well,
3: yeah, both of those, yeah, even perfect, that... The fatal mistake of hinging it all on a terrible child actor, which at least Rolling, Sto- Rolling Stone, Game of Thrones. <laughs> what? Uh, let, let the kid grow. You're having a time
2: son. travel moment right now. My, my own, yeah. Uh, well, even Legite, you know, there's existential dread there. Like, he he witnesses his own death, right? I mean, it's it's all fucked up. And for me, Game of Thrones is all about our inability to do anything or, or, uh, this political game that these characters are playing and trying, trying to change the landscape and become heroes and they're heroes in their own minds, whatever their political agendas. And if for some reason, time travel, uh, offered them the ability to undo and learn from their mistakes, they'd probably ignore them. I I can see the possibility. And I really want to open up the conversation to kind of other examples of time travel in fiction, because I want to know if, if you have, if is is it always a gimmick? Is it always going to tie itself in knots like the Terminator franchise and kind of get caught up in the time travel aspects or does time travel really serve a, a narrative purpose to teach us a lesson about something existential and something crazy about changing our own lives i think it could play a role in game of thrones it, you know it plays a role in the time machine H.E. wells book from the late 1890s uh you know we've been doing this for a long time but has it always been a gimmick
1: i thought of a really interesting example that i hadn't when we were talking about the segment which is harry potter which introduced time travel and then basically ditched it uh, kind of realizing they would Thank make things God. way too complicated. Yeah, I mean they. It's, it's weird because like they never kind of say like, "Oh, well, we can't time travel anymore." They're just like, aren't going to give anyone any time turners. But it's, it was a weird kind of plot device. It worked in one story, and then they, J.K. Rowling, kind of wisely got rid of it, recognizing it would make things too hard. So, so maybe the, that's the way to do it. The
3: beauty of motion pictures is that you can have time travel ingrained in your narrative without actually infringing on the idea of time travel. I mean, you can with cuts with. Uh, you know, the linearity of the scene order, I mean, just presenting these these people, these actors at different stages, different characters playing the same people. I mean, like the way that the film, filmic grammar works, you can have time travel in essence at your disposal at all times. You can get a sort of the same emotional appeal. I mean, think of a movie here's a bad movie that I think does this effectively is the movie One day uh, with Anne Hathaway and Jim Sturgis about their romance mm-hmm. them every day on this particular year, uh, rather on this particular day, every year. Uh, for however many years, and the last scene of the movie takes place before the well, it, very very Don't early Don't spoil on one day. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's it's because of all that we've seen transpire. Seeing these two characters at a different time in their lives, hearing a getting that last piece of the puzzle that we didn't previously have access to. It's emotionally powerful. It's cheap, but it is undeniably at least as far as I'm concerned. Fa- but that, is, but that is
2: not what we're talking about here. That is still a nonlinear storytelling device, not time travel uh, well, as a and I, I think concept.
3: David's no, making no, the no. point. What yeah. I'm saying yeah. is that you don't need to actually fuck with time travel uh, and all of the headaches that that involves in order to get that emotion. There are ways around it. There are things that you can do as a storyteller that are going to make your life easier. And they're going to make uh, well. I don't know if it's going to make your audience's life easier. In the meantime, it won't invite as many fan theories, which is something that Game of Thrones seems to really enjoy uh, fermenting. But well, I mean, it's, I could, I could, uh,
2: I, I think that's myopic and and discrediting so much science fiction, successful science fiction. Anyway, Dave.
0: Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I could meet David halfway and say that, yeah, if editing is time travel, then, like, what he's, like, him, um, the I'm one, the one-day example. I'm,
3: I'm just saying. No, that, no, no, I'm not. I'm just saying right. that I mean, time travel is dangerous. It doesn't, it doesn't David's saying dangerous. he loves it's the, as the lake house. for storytelling oh. as it is for real life.
0: Right, but like the one day example is like the time traveler's wife is just like looper. They're like they're they're set up in punchline and they're using time travel as a way of, you know, gotching and clo- they're closed loop time travel. The, the the point of the movie isn't that anything's possible the point is that when you get to the end you realize that only what happened was possible so that's still a closed loop time travel it's it could be a good application of it but it's not one of the it's not like a third hand like it's just it, it's like a or i guess and an the opposite thing would be um star trek by jj J. abrams which uses time travel once to give people a better example that they have control over their fate rather than closing it and then abandons the idea, at least as far as I know. I don't know anything about Star Trek Beyond. but Um, just like that little sprinkling of one thing to open it up. What has always been a closed loop in Star Trek world was an open loop this once and it, you know, reinvigorated the stories you could tell.
1: I wanted to go back to what David was saying about editing for a second. With this Game of Thrones example, because, I mean, there is time travel, like there's causality in what happened, but what's moving about that scene is just editing. It's just contrasting what happened to Hodor in the past with what he's doing in the present, and finally uh, lifting the veil. Like that is just cinematic storytelling. But time travel happens to be an element of also, that, but that's not what makes it so emotional.
2: But but ah, there's one other shot that's key to the emotional resonance of that scene, and that is Bran's reaction to it. And yes. without the actual time travel, the literal time travel, you don't see Bran witness that event and feel the like pit in his stomach
1: no that's true that's a big part of it but like that's but i I. what impressed me about the way that scene was developed was the editing back and forth which as david was saying is a element of everything that you can do
0: i think it's <laughs> it, it could be a trap where it becomes you know uh everything's impossible or everything you know if brand if brand creates casual loops okay the definition of a casual loop is that you can't tell where it begins or ends. It just suddenly exists and has to exist in order for the timeline to exist. So if we're dealing with casual loops, the way that breaks storytelling is we only have evidence of what we like know from legend, you know, of what Brand is possible of if he could change the past we would already have legends of that we don't have any you know legends outside of the Mad King supposedly heard whispers that would like link it to us the way that you know you could storytelling your way out of this is like Martin has been doing where one of the themes of his book is that you can't trust you know humans passing stories down thousands and thousands of years so it is going to be interesting to see if like just this little sprinkle of time travel ends up not being enough to overwhelm seven volumes of other literary techniques, right. you know, sort I mean, it's of also complicating the choice of people's it's, choices.
3: It's also a show where someone uh, uh, gave birth to a, like, shadow demon that killed someone, and we don't watch every episode going, why doesn't she just spit a shadow demon out of her vagina? So I
2: do. I I actually, do that's mind. my lingering uh, question after every episode.
3: So, I mean, maybe it's all... It's all on a bit by bit basis, but uh, yeah, I think time travel can be a slippery slope. Um, and a TV show doesn't give you have you the luxury that a film like Primer does, which Primer lasts barely seventy five minutes. And, and the, sort of the point of the latter half of Primer is to tang is to like tangle that knot, is to make it as tight tightly knotted as possible, um, and really throw you for a loop. And that's the payoff in and of itself. Whereas uh, a TV show has too many plates spinning at the same time to really engineer something like that
2: although lost is really sure, the only like, other only other example that i could think of that involves time travel on that serialized well, level ed,
3: uh, i i don't think anyone on this podcast and correct me if i'm wrong watches the 12 monkeys tv show no uh, and unfortunately i don't not. know no. if it deviates from the rules as they were laid out in the film or the,
2: they do seem to do impulse. quite a bit of jumping based on uh the, the plot descriptions that occasionally cross my path but no i have no idea i i stick to quantum leap there
0: were whole seasons of doctor who that were sort of time travel centric recently the like the matt smith doctor who had a lot of quote unquote timey wimey stuff as you non-populists <laughs> may have heard
1: <laughs> there's also uh, outlander which has a good bit of time travel even more this season and uh Hasn't really. I mean, I haven't read the books, but it ha- on the show, it hasn't really established its rules of uh, how you can affect the past.
3: I thought she just went back in time once. Yeah, go,
1: but she comes back at the beginning of this season, and then she's pregnant to go back? with her child from her from the eighteen hundreds.
3: Whoa.
1: Yeah, but we so, don't know uh, how she gets back. That's what happens
2: like- when you go through a time jump and you're pregnant.
1: She brings a baby. She's pregnant when she gets there.
2: Sorry, I was asking you. I figured that's oh, me. Oh happening.
1: yeah, no, me personally. Oh no, crazy shit happens. You wouldn't you would <laughs> believe what I've
2: seen. Katie, <laughs> I, I was expecting you to like really go to bat for Lost here and talk about how Lost successfully used time travel to be I a mean, great show that it is. I
1: know I love Lost and I defend it, and I'm not the only one. Dave is with me here. The logic of its time right. travel has faded for me a little bit. <laughs> I don't remember it that well. Um, and I was just like looking at the Wikipedia page for Juliet to try to remember like what she had done with detonating a bomb that involved time travel. Um, but I mean, the, the, what I said before, basically, is just I, what I remember about it is that the time travel, regardless of how much they were changing the past and jumping all over the place, that it mattered on a character basis, which I think is what is important when you're doing it in a serialized narrative like this.
2: Well, that's true. Sure. That's I, I think yeah.
0: it, like like everything in Lost, it was based on reveals. So it's like, can they change the past, or did they always cause the event? And, like, mm-hmm. once that was revealed, that didn't matter to me anymore. And that season was just that season. It wasn't, right. like, it stopped standing out. It was, like, a time travel season.
2: That's that's what I like about Lost. And this is what pisses off so many people, right? That Some of it is kind of superfluous. they will go a whole oh, season yeah. of time jumping. And in the end, these are all constructs of whatever episode they're having while on the island. Whatever is the, you know, it's all games. The time travel is... Stupidity and paradox and contradiction, and it's just to put certain characters at a certain place at a certain time and it's kind of cool in that way uh, that they can write the mythology to to carry them at least forward to the end, but under scrutiny, of course it doesn't hold up. It was never supposed to.
1: Yeah, I mean the trick about loss is that you can't really take it even the way that you can with Game of Thrones where like it's like, why were we shown this? Like with Loss a lot of times you are just shown it because they wanted to show you something that week because it wasn't planned the way that Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad or Mad Men or all these things have been planned. So, you know, the time travel was right. fun and interesting and got our characters in interesting direction.
2: Fantasy jazz. <laughs> it's a lot uh, well, more. Yeah, like, and I don't. Uh, I don't think you know. To kind of wrap this up, I don't think. Uh, yeah, David mentioned this uh, that George R. R. Martin had been planning this for for forever. Right, this was always going to be this Bran and Hodor he moment. Was
3: born with Hodor in his head. Uh, <laughs> yeah, George R. R. Martin now. is Hodor.
2: <laughs> it all started with Hodor. Um, you know, this is something he's been planning for a long time, and when I think. of is interesting about Martin is that he has written stories that have, have blurred the line between science fiction and fantasy over the years. And um, he's when he wins Nebula awards, people argue whether he deserves them because his stories seem so science fiction, but he won a fantasy award. If you they seem so fantasy, they won a science fiction award, and he does not give a shit. His whole thing is like as long as you care about the character on some level, as long as I'm pushing you to an emotional you know breakthrough that's I'll get you there however I can and I I'm interested in seeing if game of thrones can pivot and kind of become both fantasy and science fiction uh this genre clusterfuck that will really probably alienate a lot of the people who've loved game of thrones over the years especially you know in our in our uh segment that didn't actually happen last week because of technical difficulties we discussed why game of thrones is such a mainstream entity i don't know if we came to any conclusive uh arguments there but uh it's super digestible David because, it's said because it opera, was great because it was great what did I say?
0: Yeah, that's, that was the conclusion that I swear I have on him. <laughs> yep.
2: He recording. said, it's the best show I've ever seen on television and more and he time loves travel, time please. time
3: travel. <laughs> uh, none, none of this sounds um, accurate, but.
2: but, yeah, I just, I think Martin plants the seeds so that we can have this kind of convergence uh, of genre. Uh, in my harebrained theory that I, I wrote on Thrillist, I wrote about a, a, a short story that he wrote uh, in the '80s, before he started working on Game of Thrones, that was about um, time travelers from the future who were going into the minds of—I um, uh, think it was during the Finnish War, actually—and for some reason they were trying to out uh, change the outcome of the Finnish War by influencing, basically speaking as the conscious consciousness of these uh, soldiers. And I'm like, this is exactly what's happening in Game of Thrones. So I would not be surprised to see us catapult into the future 100 years and watch people, you know, in the space age go back in time and influence Bran. No, that's not going to happen. But I could... Something like that. It's, this is basically... It's going to turn out to be Assassin's Creed, right, Dave? No. Oh. Get ready for that time travel, oh. Katie.
3: Well, that, yeah. Wow. That's...
0: I watch Michael Vassbender travel through a lot of things.
2: Oh, sick.
1: That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Wednesday talking about a movie that might have time travel, X-Men Apocalypse. I don't even know. I haven't seen it yet. Some of the X-Men movies have time travel.
3: I've uh, seen it, and I
2: could not even No, Days of Future Past <laughs> had time travel. This just says time jumps.
1: Oh, all right. Well, And we
2: teleportation. So.
1: And Oscar Isaac and some blue makeup. So we'll have that to look forward to. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are.
2: I'm Matt Patches. I'm the Senior Entertainment Editor at Thrillist.com. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com. You can listen to the episodes. You can share the episodes. You can leave long-winded time travel theories in the comments on the episodes. Anything your heart desires. FightingInTheWarRoom.com.
3: I'm David Ehrlich. I'm a Senior Film Critic for IndieWire. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find all of us together on Facebook. Fighting in the warroom.
0: I'm Dave Gonzalez, I spell my first name, DA70 That's also my Twitter handle, I write at geek.com and latino-review.com We're also in Storm of Spoilers season right here on this feed at fightinginthewarroom.com slash spoilers.
1: Yeah, take that people who think that analyzing Game of Thrones is silly Uh, I'm Katie Rich you can find me at VanityFair.com and I'm on Twitter at Katie Rich K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H and we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R where you can tweet at us and we'll be your friends or we can just talk about this week's lightning round question which was
0: in honor of X-Men Apocalypse which cinematic mutant of the X-Men universe are you
1: thank you for listening and we'll be back talking to you on Friday Friday
3: But I keep trying, because maybe sooner can